Well, imagine, especially young people, imagine, children, imagine, imagine that you got a letter from Pastor Bill Hughes. Pastor Hughes is known to, to our people, and uh, they know him to be a wonderful and a wise and a godly pastor. And, and imagine, you children, if you got a letter in the mail, or even an email, because he can email, and um, uh, it was written to you. It had your name at the top. Well, you'd read it very carefully, and uh, you'd listen very carefully to any advice that he, that he gave you. Well, Timothy got a letter from Paul that was something similar. Paul was about to die, and this was the last letter that he was going to write. And he wrote it to Timothy in the passage that we read when he says, And you, he's talking to Timothy. Well, imagine that Pastor Hughes wrote to you and he said, now listen, all around you are people and they're living like this and they're not living well. And he says, but you ought to, well, you want to read the the rest of that sentence. You want to hear what this wise and godly man has to say to you. And you read it very carefully. Well, Paul says to Timothy, He says, all around you, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. And then he says this, but as for you, well, if you're Timothy, you want to read that very carefully. You want to know exactly what Paul has to say. Well, you see, this is what we want to think about tonight. This is our text for the message. Look at verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy 3. But as for you, you, Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Well, there are three things that I need to point out to you about Timothy. There was a godly witness and a gracious work And a glorious way. Timothy had received a godly witness. He was the object of a gracious work. And he's being encouraged to go along a glorious way. Let's try and work our way through this before we get to the baptism. First of all, a godly witness. And in verses 4 and 5, 14 and 15, I want you to note that Paul says about Timothy. Childhood, from when you were very young, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, with the scriptures, with God's holy word. And those scriptures are the scriptures in which you find out about Jesus, the only one who can save us from our sins. Now, Timothy's dad uh, was a Greek. His name is not revealed in the scriptures. And probably he was not a Christian. But we know from the early chapters of Timothy that his mother was named Eunice. And Eunice taught him all about the world. And Timothy's grandmother was Lois. and, And she obviously supported her daughter. And they were both examples to Timothy of true Christianity. 
So you see, Timothy was godliness along with well. So let me tell you about this witness that Timothy received. And, you know, it's a witness that all you children have received as well. So think about this. It was, first of all, an informative witness. It was an informative witness. Because notice, Paul says that Timothy was acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy was taught the Bible. They had, at that point, only the Old Testament. But Timothy was taught that from his earliest days. He was taught the scriptures. And they taught him about God. And they taught him about sin. And they taught him about his danger. And that all is not well with the child. Timothy was taught that. He was told about judgment. He was informed about heaven. He was warned about hell. And then they taught him about a savior. And he learned about the, the Lord Jesus. And they taught him things that were essential for salvation. They taught him about all these things. These things that you children know as well. These things that you've been taught as well. These things that you learned in the earliest days. You've been taught these vital truths. And these are vital truths because the Bible makes it clear that without these truths, you will not be saved. Without this information, you cannot come to Christ because you won't know that he's there. This is vital information because the Lord Jesus is the only Savior in this world. He reacts that there is salvation in no one else. There's no one else who can rescue you. There's no one else who can keep you safe. There's no one else who can save you from hell. There's no one else who can bring you into God's heaven. And so this very important information, he needed to hear it. He had to hear it, and he did hear it. Thank God he was taught that by his mother and by his grandmother. And you know, there are millions of people around the world who never hear about Jesus. This is one of those mysteries, you know, this troubling facts about life and reality and God's ways that Jotham alluded to. And there are many mysterious things in God's dealings with men. But the fact of the matter is that there are millions who never hear the gospel and are never taught about Christ. But you've been taught about the Lord Jesus. You know about him. You've been instructed about Jesus. How privileged you are. What an amazing thing. You know, I never heard about the Lord Jesus. Never heard the gospel until I was 17. Most of you children are considerably younger than that, but you know all about the Lord Jesus. You know all about the scriptures. Oh, how blessed you are. How privileged. So, you know, this is an informative witness, but secondly, it's a sincere witness. It was a sincere witness. You know, sometimes Christians don't act like Christians. They say that they're Christians, but they don't behave like Christians. But you see, Timothy's mom and grandmother, they were true Christians. Paul says in chapter 1, he says they had sincere faith. And he means they weren't hypocrites. They weren't just pretending. They weren't acting. 
They didn't have a beautiful mask of Christianity on when they're at church, but they have an, an ugly face on at home that is not Christian in any way, shape, or form. That's a hypocrite. That's someone who just talks about Christianity, but they don't act like it. Now, Timothy was blessed because he received a sincere witness. These ladies were true Christians, and they spoke about Jesus to Timothy, and Timothy knew that they were true Christians. And they had been saved themselves. They were those who belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, not all parents are like that. I'm sure you, most of you know uh, John Charles Ryle, Bishop Ryle. And, and he, tells, uh, he tells about a man named Archbishop Tillotson, who he says made a wise remark. This was the remark. To give children good instruction and a bad example is but beckoning them with the head to show them the way to heaven while we take them by the hand and lead them in the way to hell. If you're a hypocrite, if you're all just talk, you can talk with your face about Christianity. If you behave like a pagan, if you behave like someone who doesn't care one whit about Jesus, Tillotson says, well, you might as well be leading them by the hand to hell. And all your instruction will come to naught. Well, Ryle goes on to encourage mums and dads and to warn them and to counsel them. And he says, fathers and mothers, do not forget that children learn more by the eye than they do by the ear. No school will make such deep marks on character as home. The best of schoolmasters will not imprint on their minds as much as they will pick up at your fireside. Imitation is a far stronger principle with children than memory. What they see has a much stronger effect on their minds than what they are told. And that's not to minimize what they're told. We need truth. No salvation without the good news. But he's saying we need to adorn that truth with a godly example. Take care then, he says, what you do before a child is a true, what, what you do, take care what you do before a child. It is a true proverb, who sins before a child sins double. Strive rather than to be a living epistle of Christ, such as your families can read, and that plainly too. That's my exhortation to you if you're a parent. Be a living epistle of Christ. Show them Jesus. Don't just tell them. Live out the Lord Jesus. Don't just teach them. I want to speak to you children. And I want to tell you this. I know your parents. And I know that they're godly. And I know that you've received an informative witness. And I know that you've received a consistent and godly witness, a sincere witness. And you see, now the question is, for all of you children, the question is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do in terms of your response? Your mom and dad and perhaps your family and perhaps the Christian family in this church They've borne testimony to you. They've told you about Jesus. They've been, they've been living letters. You could read their lives and learn about Jesus. 
The question is, what do you do with it? How do you respond? Well, this witness calls for a response. It calls for this kind of response. It calls for a personal response. You see, now, this is about you. This is addressed to you, not to your friends and not to other people, but it's addressed to you. You see, you have to repent and believe so that you might be saved. It's wonderful to hear from Jotham about how he's been saved, but that's not going to save you. We're so glad that your mom and dad are saved, but that's not going to save you. So you have to save, be saved by the Lord Jesus. This is about you. It calls for a personal response. It also calls for a, well, the proper response. What's the proper response when you're driving along and you see a stop sign? The proper response is to stop. And what's the proper response when you see a meal? Mom lays out a meal for you, and it's wonderful. And it's not that junk food that Mr. Vanderpoel was talking about today. This is a real meal. What's your proper response to that? Well, it's to eat. Well, Timothy gives us the example as to what the proper response is to this witness, what the proper response is to this information about Jesus. Paul says, you firmly believed. You really believed this truth. The gospel was taught to you and Jesus was set up in front of you and you really believed. You trusted him for your life. You asked him to save you from your sins. You asked him to forgive you of all of your sins. This was personal and it was proper. And you asked the Lord Jesus to save you. Well, that's what we're praying for you. Oh, we love you. We're praying that, oh, has God saved Jotham? He'll save you. Has Jotham asked the Lord to save him? Oh, you will do the same. That would be wonderful. And one day, we'll have to rent Calvary again, baptize you. Wouldn't that be great? I just want to tell you, too, it's dangerous if you don't. I'm sure you've heard of Charles Spurgeon. Now, we quote him enough times. Mrs. Spurgeon had a godly mother. His mother was always praying for him and with him. And uh, later on, in years to come, he wrote, and he said this. He said, I remember on one occasion my mother praying thus. She said, now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. If they don't believe. And Spurgeon says that thought of a mother's bearing swift witness against me. Pierced my conscience. And stirred my heart. And that's why we're praying for you children. Frankly we're praying for anybody here who's not a Christian. We've been praying for you. Praying that God will save you too. Timothy had a a godly witness. I believe you've had it too. You need to respond. Then we move on to a gracious work. A gracious work. And I want to tell you about two things. I want to tell you about wicked children. 
First of all, wicked children. Jotham and I were talking, and we were talking about salvation and about his salvation and about baptism and so on and so forth. And, and I asked him, so when you, let's suppose you, you die, you go to heaven, and you stand at the pearly gates. I, I don't know what things are like at the gates of heaven, but I, we imagine something. We say, when well, I imagine that you're standing there and somebody says to you, well, why should we let you in heaven? And Jotham's response was an orthodox response, the kind of response that you hope to hear. And it was something like this, that, well, that uh, the only way I can come into heaven is because the Lord Jesus died for sinners like me. And, and I've asked the Lord to save me and I've asked him to forgive me. And on the basis of what he did, I'm forgiven. And so only because of Jesus can I be allowed into heaven. I said, okay. And I said, yeah, but what about this? You're a nice kid. You're a pleasant little boy. You're a fine young man. Told him what I thought of him as his grandpa. Oh, great kid. So why don't you say that? Why don't you say, well, let me in because I'm a great kid. I don't do this and I do that. I don't do this type of stuff and I do that kind of stuff. What about that? Why Why don't you give that as your reason? And then see... He's polite, so he didn't actually say anything. But there was a look. And the look said, Grandpa's losing it. (laughs) And the look was right, because that's nonsense. The Bible is very clear. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. What that means is being a good kid ain't going to cut it. There's sin to be dealt with. So our righteousness is nothing. It's, it's, well, listen to Paul. Paul says, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He also says, None is righteous. No, not one. If you think you're righteous, the Bible says, Are you wrong? You're deluded. You think you're good enough for heaven? The Bible says, No, you're wrong. God says you're a sinner. Same passage. No one does good, not even one. What about those philanthropists? Well, sometimes, to be honest, they do it for pride. They do it for a name. They do it out of guilt and so on and so forth. The Bible says even the best things we do is full of sin. So no, no one does good, not even one. So there's no such thing as a a good little boy or a good little girl. No such thing. I wonder if you've ever been told that you, you know, you, you look like your mom and dad. Now, I, I think that when babies are born, they mostly look like Winston Churchill. But then they, then they start to grow, and they start to take on the characteristics of mom and dad. They start, to, I mean, whether you like it or not, you start to look a little like them, you start to act a little like them, and people say, oh, he's a chip off the old block. Now, the fact of the matter is, you are. And that's the problem. And your mom and dad, by nature, they're sinners. And they're destined for hell because they're sinners. And you're like your parents. Just turn for a moment, if you still have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 
37. I'll show you a picture of, of your house. Now, maybe you have a great house. It's a, boy, a charming house. And you've got all the doodads and so forth. And all your kids, you know, they're clothed and in their right mind. They're good looking and all the rest of it. And they're well behaved, you know. And you're happy to take them out. But listen to this. Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel wants to say, no, they cannot. Because, well, because they're bones. Because they're dry. And because they're very dry. So no, they can't live because they're dead. And I'm saying to you that that's your home. Without Christ, that's your home. Without Christ, you're walking through a valley of dead bones. You walk in a nice house. You're walking around bright and shiny kids. You're in the valley of the dead bones. And they are dead in sin. And they're destined for hell. So the problem is, children... And the other problem is weak parents. Because you, you're a Christian parent. And you mean really well. And you go and you read the books, because there's a boatload of them. And you go to the seminars. And then you start doing the family devotions. And you choose well, the best schooling options. But you remain weak parents. And the question comes to you and it says, Parents, can these bones live? These children who have been entrusted to your care, these immortal souls who have been granted to you for a time, can these bones live? And once you get to know them, you realize, no, they, they cannot. There's nothing you can do. And then you see that really the most natural thing in the world is that you teach them the best you can, and then they reject. That's the most natural thing in the world. You do your very best, and then they reject, and they walk away. And then, because you're a godly parent, and because you love these children, and because you love God, you, you start to beat yourself up, because, you know, if they rejected, there must be something I've done wrong. I must have failed in some way. But the fact of the matter is that their walking away is the most natural thing in the world. It's that action most in accord with the state of their hearts. And it needs divine intervention. It needs a work of God. It needs God to make bare his arm. It needs sovereign grace to come and to make them alive. That's what is needed. You know, even, even Jesus' siblings didn't believe until after the resurrection. And was, was, his, was his witness somehow deficient? Well, of course not. No, it takes, in God's time, divine intervention. Well, you see, that's what you read about later on in Ezekiel. 
I read up to verses 1 to 3. In verse 10 it says this. You see, God has said to him, go and, and prophesy. Tell them. You read this. Prophesy as he commanded. And the breath came into them. And they lived. Stood on their feet. No power in Ezekiel. No ability in him. He's a weak prophet. As weak as you are, a weak parent. But when he speaks, when the word goes forth, and power comes from on high, and the breath of God enters the poor sinner, and they stand up, and they live. And that's what happened with Timothy. And we read in, in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, these words, 2 Timothy 1 verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began. This salvation for everybody who's a Christian, this salvation for Timothy in particular, is a work of sovereign grace, and grace was given before the world began. Divine intervention, that's what was necessary, that's what happened, and that's why Timothy was saved. We read in Acts 13, 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, because you know what's happening in Acts, the gospel was being preached all over the Roman Empire, and when the Gentiles heard the gospel, they began to rejoice in glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, God granted them faith, and they trusted Christ. God granted Timothy faith. And he trusted Christ. And that's what happened to Jotham. God granted him faith. And he believed. And that's what we're praying for you. Sovereign grace. Touch your life. And children then. You must believe in the Lord Jesus. Before. You lay your head on the pillow tonight. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And parents, maybe some of your children are in the far country. Oh, you've sown the seeds, haven't you? You've taught them. Well, listen to the comforting words of Matthew Henry. He says, I know that you cannot give grace to your children, nor is spiritual life the guaranteed outcome of a spiritual upbringing. But if you make it a matter of conscience to teach your family, if you teach them the good and right doctrines of the Bible, if you counsel and warn them about false paths, reprove, exhort, and encourage them, or if you pray for them, pray with them, and set them a good example then you will have done your part and you may leave the rest to God. And so take heart. Oh, that's wonderful. We have a sovereign God, you see. And at any moment, he can take that word that you sowed. You can take that gospel that you preached to them. And you can take those truths that you've passed on to them. Save them just like that. God can do that. So take heart. Keep praying. But take heart. Now a glorious way. The third and last point. 
In verse 14, we read, As for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. You see, Paul, at this point, as he writes this letter, he's going to be executed very soon. So this is his, these are his last-minute instructions to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, all right, now you keep going. I know you're saved. I know you're serving, so keep going. Like you've started well, and you believed, and you're living for Christ, and I want you to keep going. Continue on, press on. Don't stop. Don't give up. It's like Christian in, Christ, in Pilgrim's Progress. We heard about Pilgrim's Progress this morning in the message. And so Christian is on a pilgrimage. He's on a journey. And you don't stop that journey. You've, you've started the journey. You've believed in Christ. The burden, oh, it's off your back now. You're forgiven and you've been liberated. And now you're on your way to the celestial city. And when you read Pilgrim's Progress, you find he doesn't stop until he enters the gates. Until he's in glory. So he says keep going. So press on. That's what we're saying to Jotham tonight. There's a good start. Now you're a Christian. That's excellent. Thank God for sovereign grace. Now you're being baptized. Step of obedience. And let that be now the characteristic of this journey that you're on. Now you keep pressing on now. You go. And you walk. And you keep going and. May obedience characterize your journey and every step of the way. And you will find that uh, God is with you. And you'll find that this is a glorious way. You're, you're going in the right direction. And you're on the right path. And you're heading in the right way. And you're going to find that this is a glorious way. It's glorious for two reasons. It's glorious, first of all, because of the Word of God. You see, the Word of God, you have it. And that Word will be a guide to you. It will instruct you. It will teach you. It will show you how to live. You see verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, in order that the man of God... See, now, Jotham, you're a man of God now. You're a young man of God. And men and women of God. The Bible is given that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The Bible will guide you. It will direct you. It will move you along on this glorious way. I'll give you an example of this. Timothy, you see, is an example of this. This Timothy to whom Paul is writing. You know, Paul is confident that God has been good to this young man. And God will keep him on the journey. In Philippians 2, 21 and 20 and 21, it says, see, Paul's writing about Timothy, and he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm going to send Timothy to you, and I'm sending him to you because he's one of a kind. He's, he's the kind of man who's not interested in his own things. He's concerned about you, and I know if I send him to you, he's going to be a blessing to you. That was Timothy. And it seems as if he... Well, he lived that kind of life. Because Fox's Book of Martyrs says that, that Timothy died in A.D. 97. He was in the town of Ephesus. And he was, he was in the town and there were people involved in all kinds of wickedness. And he stood up. 
because you know he's a Christian. And he stood against the wickedness and he, he told them that this is wrong and he, he spoke against their, their wicked idolatry and he tried to, to speak to them about Christ. And they grew angry and they took their clubs and they beat him. And he died two days later because of his injuries. Timothy, you see, well, he's a man of God. And he was concerned about others. And he gave his life as a martyr for the cause of Christ so that others might come to find salvation in the Lord Jesus. He lived to serve the church and to be used to expand the church and to bring sinners to Christ. And we're saying to Timothy, we're saying about Timothy that he's a great example. And we're saying to Jotham that but you need to live like that, live like that Timothy. Jotham, we're saying to you that uh, we want you to live a life where you seek not your own interests, but the interests of others. And you're concerned not about your own glory, but the glory of Christ. And you're concerned to set before men a godly example. And you're concerned to tell men the truth of God in Christ. Live like that. Continue in what you've learned. Christian friends, I wonder if that's the kind of life that they can see in us. You know, these young people, these children, these, perhaps some of them are Christians, and hopefully some of them will become Christians. Do they see that kind of life in us? Are we modeling that kind of life, this kind of Timothy life, with a concerned about, concern about the interests of Christ, concerned about the glory of God, concerned about the souls of men? Are they, are they seeing in us devotion to God and dedication to service? When they're around us, can they sense an aroma of Christ? When they're with us, do they know they're with people who belong to Christ? Oh, we pray that that will be the case. So this is the glorious way because it's a life lived for Christ. And God's given us the word to direct us so that we will live in that way. But it's also a glorious way because of the plan of God. Not just the word of God, but the plan of God. You see, God has a plan for Jotham's life. He has a plan for all of us who are Christians. If you come to Christ tonight, you know, God has a plan for you. And that plan involves, means at least two things. It means that this life is good. It means that this life is good. That's what Romans 8.28 says. It says that no matter what happens to us, God is working it for our good. And if you're a parent or a grandparent or just concerned about young people, concerned about young, the children in our church, for goodness sakes, well, you're concerned about the future. You worry about that. You worry about what life will be like. You worry about what they will face and the challenges that will come along. But we walk then by faith, do we not? That's what our Lord says in the scriptures, walk by faith, not by sight. And so when it comes to our concern for others, we can't control it. We can't orchestrate everything. So we walk by faith and by faith we commend them to God and we do so with confidence because those who belong to him, he will work everything for their good. And so for believers like this young man, this life is good. 
And for believers like this young man, that life, you know, that which is to come, is glorious. Listen to this. We read these words in the book of the Revelation, the last chapter of Revelation. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no night anymore. They will need no lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. Now, Jotham, that's your future. That's what lies ahead for you, young man. And for any Christian here tonight, that's your future. That's what lies ahead for you. The glory beckons you. Your future is so, so bright, magnificent. Oh, no wonder then. It's no wonder that he wants to say tonight, look, I belong to the Lord Jesus. That's what he's going to be doing there. No wonder he wants to do that. Because having been saved, this life is good. Despite the hardships and the troubles, God works it for good. And then comes glory. Well, no wonder he says, I belong to Christ. And no wonder those of us who are Christians here tonight, we heard that testimony with joy. Because it's our testimony as well. We think about these things with thanksgiving. Because these things are true of us. And so, no wonder we hear these things with joy. And no wonder, no wonder maybe, maybe you listen to this tonight. Oh, you hear that young man. You read these texts. You hear about Christ. And you say, oh God, save my soul. Deliver me. I want that. What he has, I want that. I don't understand a lot of this stuff, but I want that. And more particularly, I want you. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, save souls tonight, we pray. And receive from our hearts praise for having saved us. And we thank you in Jesus' name.